So I actually did not read the messages in the group chat, but I believe they were about the Persuasion trailer. Yes, the Persuasion trailer for the new Netflix adaptation that dropped today. Um, It is extremely controversial online. And by extremely controversial, I mean that um, people seem to hate it. Oh, why, I say, only half remembering the book? Um, because I think people feel that Anne Elliot is too fun and interesting in this version. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, why did she get a personality change? Why is she now like Lizzie Bennet? To make people want to watch the movie, guys. And look, I understand, right? But I am also happy that I don't have to be with Dower Anne Elliot for like an hour and a half. (laughs) I don't know. I guess I just feel differently about adaptation than I used to. I feel like as a kid, I was like, this is not exactly faithful to the book that I once enjoyed. And now I'm like, you know, no one wants to watch that. No, I I totally get it. But I understand. Like, this is very modern. Um, I think people are very attached, especially to the, you know, the the great appeal of persuasion is the longing. You know, it's like Anne's like regrets about Wentworth and things like that. And I do hope, like, that, you know, it's just a trailer. Like, we haven't seen everything. Um, I do hope that the movie does an adequate job of presenting her, like, longing for Wentworth. Because, like, why else are we here? But I am fine with <laughs> Aunt Elliot's personality change. In the vein of modernness, I did have a moment when she was like, we're worse than exes now. And I was like... When was the word X invented, I wonder? No, never. People really hate that line, by the way. That's like one of the ones people are like real mad about. What made me laugh was that it said from the author of Emma and Pride and Prejudice. I know. I was like, do we, do we, do we... Do we not know who she is anymore? Like, I was like, am I douchey for, for being taken aback by this? No, I don't think so. That was hilarious. It was a hilarious choice. Anyway, I was delighted that it dropped today so that we could discuss it aptly along with today's movie. I know, maybe we'll maybe we'll review this controversial film next month. Is it that soon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. July 15th or something like that. Anyway, welcome to this month's episode of Romcomathon. I'm Alex and I'm Kat, and I'm so excited because we're here to talk about another Austin adaptation, Fire Island. It is an excellent Pride and Prejudice adaptation. And with every passing moment that I think about it, I feel dumber and dumber because the movie literally starts with the want of a wife thing. And somehow between the beginning of the movie and the end, I completely forgot what it was supposed to be. And many of the questions that I wrote down during the course of the film were unnecessary had I remembered that it was a Pride and Prejudice adaptation. But it's like literally beat for beat. Uh, Yes, that is why, like, as soon as I was reminded, maybe like a day after watching the movie, I was like, I'm an idiot. (laughs) It's so well done in terms of like the setup of the society, the family, the things that happen. Also, like, I was like, why do I like this grumpy weirdo so much? Oh, yes. Um, I think it's really funny that you didn't realize that's hilarious. Yep, 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 yep. Shall I describe the plot for anyone who hasn't seen the 8,000 adaptations of this story? Yes, Fire Island is its own thing. So, spoilers ahead. Okay, Joel Kim Booster is Noah, or basically Lizzie Bennet, the most, shall we say, opinionated of a found family of mostly POC gay pals 
with Margaret Cho as their mom, who annually go to Fire Island and have a grand old time. Bowen Yang is the only other Asian member of this crowd, so he's kind of Joel Kim Booster's like special friend. Howie, aka Jane, who is very romantic and wants to find love while the rest of them are chaotic party people, except the one who during the movie Matt was like, I feel bad for this actor. Like, why is this guy's only personality trait being boring? Because he's Mary Bennett. Correct. Afterward, I was like, oh, but I enjoyed him. Anyway, Bowen Yang and Joel Kim Booster set their sights on a golden retriever living under a rock type doctor named Charlie, aka Bingley, the actress James Scully, and he and Bowen Yang embark on a romance so deeply earnest and lame that Joel Kim Booster is disgusted. Because he was basically like, this is your week. I'm going to make sure you hook up with someone. This will be my one priority. Meanwhile, he's also kind of interested in Conrad Ricamora for like a second. And Conrad Ricamora is Charlie's stick-up-his-butt friend, aka Darcy. His name is Will. But Joel Kim Booster immediately discovers that he's a weird, grumpy douche. Many shenanigans ensue after they've, you know, become enemies, touching on classism and racism in Fire Island, aka gay society, aka high society. And Joel Kim Booster almost sleeps with the Wickham of the situation, a lost Hemsworth named Dex, who then sleeps with Luke slash Lydia instead and puts him non-consensually on his OnlyFans and then... Lizzie and Darcy have to go intimidate him to defend his honor. <laughs> Meanwhile, Bowen Yang gets his heart broken because Charlie, Dr. Charlie, kind of sort of gets back together with his ex. I'm not 100% sure what happened there. That part was the only part of the film where I was like, this seems a little confusing because he's like, I'm not really with him. And I was like, seems like you're pretty with this guy. And then like Lyme disease, which may or may not have been a lie. We'll come back to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the end... Both couples see the light, of course, and you get the sense that Bowen Yang is going to get his happily ever after, which is very touching. And Conrad Ricamora and Joel Kim Booster kind of get together. They're both like not into relationships, but maybe they'll be in one. And there's also a whole thread with them all being really sad, especially Joel Kim Booster, that Margaret Cho has to sell their vacation home. I thought that was just her house. That wasn't her vacation home. That was her house. It was unclear to me whether she lived there full time because they met her in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah, but it was like this whole thing where like her house was like their special place and like without the house, like they didn't have like a base to be on Fire Island. It wouldn't be the same as it was like blah, blah, blah. I deeply understand this emotionally, but there was a part of me that especially when he was like talking to Bo and Yang that I was like, or you could just get on a plane and visit your supposedly close friend ever. True. Um, overall, I really enjoyed myself. It was very funny. I really enjoyed the relationships, but because I had forgotten or not realized that it was Pride and Prejudice, at first I thought Joel Kimbooster was going to get together with Bo and Yang. Oh, yeah, they're very sweet, but no. <laughs> Partway through the movie, I was suddenly like, I think I'm wrong about who the love interest is. Anyway. I had, we had like a really good time, thoroughly enjoyed the movie. I laughed a lot. And 
I really enjoyed the specific beats, especially that seemed to come from the 2005 adaptation. The pouring rain. (laughs) The pouring rain, like the yelling at each other in the rain, sort of like that was really great. I just really enjoyed the whole situation. I did have a lookout. I was like trying to see if there was going to be like a Mr. Collins situation, but like they they didn't really work that one in. But that's all right. Coming to get the house or something. Yeah, like maybe that was like maybe that was in an earlier version of the script that like didn't make it or whatever, but it was unnecessary. It's fine. I think it was there was plenty going on. They did a really nice job. I know, I know. I too was irritated by Lydia and Kitty. <laughs> One of my favorite things is when they're at the party and someone was like, we're not bad people. And then like seconds later, I think it's Margaret Cho comes in and is like, One of them stole this speaker. I don't know where it goes. And I was like, Yes, yep. you are. Yep. You are garbage in a delightful way. <laughs> <laughs> but they would make me so tired if they- I knew them in real life. Well, I think they make Lizzie tired. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, Margaret Cho looks great, by the way. Yeah, I just really, I really love this movie. I really enjoyed the exploration of Asian gay male identity um, within the gay community because I really don't think that's been done before. And that was like a really special and unique perspective. It really also was a great way of bonding, um, you know, Jane and Lizzie, Joel Kim Booster and Bowen Yang's characters together. Um, and I also really enjoyed, though, that uh, Conrad Rikamora was also Asian. And that was really great to me because the whole movie really says like, oh, he is attractive. Yes, delightful Asian Darcy. Bring him to my face. Um, also, he's great looking. I was like, why? Especially at the beginning, he was so unappealing personality wise. And I was like, why am I into this situation? It's well done. I really enjoyed that you watched this whole movie, like, not knowing. Like, you were just like, oh, what choices? But my soul knew. I was like, who's this perfect weirdo? Yeah. The archetypal perfect weirdo. There you go. Um, Yeah, I kind of felt like we might not have a ton to say because it was mostly delightful. I know. Well, what we can say is we can talk about the Bechdel test controversy around Fire Island that um, I'm sure everyone has literally seen because it went viral on Twitter. Um, But for anyone who is unaware, this uh, white writer, I think, um, this woman tweeted that uh, just like this angry thing about how Fire Island fails the Bechdel test. Um, and it, it does in the strict definition of the Bechdel test, which is two women who uh, interact or talk in a movie and it's about something other than men. This movie is literally about gay men. So, it you know, there are no other women to talk to. <laughs> yeah, like Margaret Cho is literally the only one there and that's okay. Um, so everyone shat on the writer. She later apologized. And then Alison Bechdel herself got involved and was like, you know what? I'm going to give this one a pass because it's two gay men talking about the female protagonist of an Alice Munro novel. You know what? It passes. You know, the spirit of this rule is great and all. I'm honestly not looking to rom-coms in general to bring this to me. Yeah, exactly. It's nice when it does, but sometimes I'm like, this isn't actually what I came for. There are a lot of things that you want in life and some things are just not made to deliver them all. I would still say like the spirit of the Bechdel test is great, but maybe we can just like not open our mouths when like a film is like not for us. 
truly. Anyway, you know what I did think that didn't happen? I kind of thought Howie might buy the house because he seems to be the only one with money. Yeah, I didn't think he had that much money, but you know what? It's fine. I think they're going to be fine. They can come back to Fire Island next year off of Charlie's rental house situation, and it's going to be great. Yes, they're both marrying well. Can we discuss Charlie's, like, ex situation? Yeah, so I guess he's a recent ex. Yes. And what does he say in the film? He says something about how, like, he's seeing his ex again because his ex has Lyme disease? Okay, so, like, first he's briefly mentioned foreshadowing where it's like, oh, like, he likes Bo and Yang so much. He feels so different from the guy's name is Reese. And then later, I guess their garbage friend, uh, Caroline slash what's-her-name, flies the ex out just to, like, stir the pot. Yeah, no, he seems terrible. Yeah, he can run off with Wickham. They're made for each other. And then, like, is Charlie just a doormat? Like, he's just like, oh, I I guess we're back together now. Like, maybe there are feelings there, but he doesn't seem happy. Nor does there seem to be any logical reason that he has to be with this person that he was previously kind of happy to get away from. And then he tells Bo and Yang that he, he just feels bad that the ex has Lyme disease, which is seemingly a Yeah, it's very confusing because you also see him, like, grinding up at the club, like, with Reese, like, obviously together having a time. And I don't know, it just seems really confusing. I mean, it is Fire Island. Yeah, sure. I was like, well, this is a very lesbian move, but I don't know about gay men. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 that would be suddenly we're engaged. No, but Charlie really is, though. Like, he has, like, numerous conversations with Bo and Yang. Like, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, Reese is just terrible. And I was just like, but why are you back with him? No one is forcing you. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was, like, maybe because of some kind of Pride and Prejudice blackmail situation or charity situation. No, no, no. The thing in Pride and Prejudice is that basically Bingley is convinced that, like, Jane doesn't feel as strongly, and so he should, like, cast his sight somewhere else. So he just, like, leaves town. Oh, right. I remember him leaving town. I do not remember why. Yeah, he, like, leaves town, goes back to London, presumably to, like, find another woman that he could be, like, interested in marrying. But I guess they, like, couldn't quite make that work. I mean, in both situations, it's just like, let's just throw a wrench in the works inexplicably, even though these two nice people seem to like each other. So in that sense, very true to the book. But I was confused because I was like, did he personally put a tick on Reese, like, and gave him Lyme disease? Like, why does he feel so responsible? Well, Will Connor Rickamore does say early on, I think it's him, something like, look, like people can mistake Charlie's niceness for wanting to be with them. Sure, but he really is grinding up on Reese in the club. So that's definitely, I don't think Reese was like. But the club thing is less weird to me. You're drunk, the ex is there, blah, blah, whatever. But the Lyme disease thing, like, I still don't know if it was true or false. Yeah, no, I don't. I mean, I think it was false, right? But what a weird lie. No, truly. I can't imagine like, oh, I've gone on, you know, three or four great dates with a person, but then like someone else comes back into my life. Even if it's like, I actually want to be with that person. Why is Lyme disease the choice? But it was a very funny choice, I will say. I think they were maybe just- Maybe just the joke. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the only other thing I felt like I kind of didn't get was when they have their fight and the, like, accusation of gay misery. 
What do you mean? I think he basically says like, you're like this because you have internalized homophobia and don't want to be like us or something like that. Oh, okay. I feel like I could kind of understand that in a general sense, but you're right. I feel like groundwork for that was not laid really. I think it was probably because the Pride and Prejudice thing is their kind of like, you are exactly the thing that you don't like. Like they both kind of say that to each other. Yeah. But I, in terms of the world we actually had here, I felt a little like that was an accusation that Will was like a different type of gay guy than Noah thought he should be. Because I don't know that there was necessarily evidence that, well, Fire Island he does look down on. But I guess I just wasn't sure where that accusation came from besides maybe out of Joel Kim Booster's like own stuff. Well, we do see that Will is so condescending about the culture of Fire Island, and yet he is there, which is inexplicable. (laughs) Um, Like, I was like, sir, no one made you come. Like, no one made you take a week off work. But Charlie made him come. But you know, he could have not, like, is what I'm saying. I guess that's true. If you're going to be so miserable and a jerk to everyone who happens to come by, there's no need. Exactly. And I do feel like that is true, like what Joel Kim Booster is saying to him, like, in a sense, he was like a straight gay man. And I think that was what Joel Kim Booster was accusing him of, of looking down on, like, those aspects of gay culture. Yeah, I totally got, like, what he meant. I guess I just wasn't sure if it was deserved. I mean, we don't know enough about Will. I mean, it is true that he felt emasculated about his tiny ice cream cone. That is true and hilarious. And I was like, is the ice cream cone that tiny? It is small. It is small in his hand. I was kind of hoping it would be like really tiny. (laughs) I don't know if they could like make that happen. They have them at Trader Joe's. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Oh, also at the end, Noah was like, I thought I had my whole life figured out. And I was like, to be honest, that was not the vibe I got from you, but sure. Yeah, <laughs> like we literally open on him like looking up with the guy and being like oh shit i gotta go i yeah, gotta like go almost, catch the ferry he's like my whole vibe is almost missing the ferry which to me is not you had your life figured out but sure like i guess he is very convinced that he's right which is kind of what he and Boa yang fight about yeah um that he's like i am anti-monogamy and i am hot from going to the gym and i think that you should have my life and then you will be happy And I was just like, let Howie live with his puzzles and his love of romance. Exactly. He was so precious. I think the layers to it were really interesting in the sense that Bowen Yang sort of says to him, you have made yourself into this mold of like conventional, like hot guy because you're Asian and there is that racism within the gay community. And you're just thinking that if you make yourself hot enough, that that's not going to matter. Yeah, I really... I may have cried a little at the end because I was like, I'm so moved by Bo and Yang finding love because the other aspect of that, not just the being Asian, is Bo and Yang essentially saying like, you're hotter than me, don't pretend we're the same. Yes, Bo and Yang is like, you're conventionally attractive, look at me. Basically, he's like, I am a love. And I was <laughs> like, like you're I am cute. just a garden troll. No wonder Charlie left me for the Lyme disease man. Yes, I was like, you're cute, babe. It's okay. <laughs> you're cute enough that I thought you were the love interest. <laughs> but yeah, Joel Kim Booster is ripped. I mean, that's, he's not that. Anyway, and that's a very real, although we are not gay men, that is definitely a real thing. Um, But I was so charmed by Bo and Yang finding love, which he so deserved. But I have to say, Bo and Yang is really so precious and earnest, and I'm not sure that would have been true had it not been an adaptation. (laughs) 
That's true. Um, I also found Charlie, like, just a bit dumb. Inexplicable, right? I was like, he's a doctor in New York. If he's not up on all the latest trends at SNL, fair enough. But they all seemed, like, shocked by the mention of a sketch. I know. And he finds Bo and Yang, like, so clever and funny. And it's like, but have you been in a cave? Like, you are so fun and quirky. Like, I do kind of understand, like, maybe he's just hanging out with really dull people. No, because he has his bitchy gay friends, like Caroline. Oh, yes. You're like, surely Cooper, although unpleasant, is funny. Yeah. Mean people are often funny, unfortunately. And Reese seems, like, horrible, but, like, at least, like, up to date with pop culture. Like, has a personality. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm just wondering, like, what the hell is wrong with Charlie? I don't know. I think they were just... Well, there's two aspects, right? Like, they probably needed, like, a... Because they're basically all, like, Bo and Yang is a garden troll. Charlie's friends. They're like, he's poor and ugly, which he's neither. (laughs) But that's the vibe, right? Yes. So I think maybe he needed to bring something to the table, and they chose his winning personality full of mild jokes and pop culture references that... That Dr. Charlie didn't know? I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I did get a kick out of Bo and Yang talking about old SNL sketches, though. That was was cute. Yeah. Um, I also loved when he was, like, in the giant chair when he was so, so sad. And then he was lying down, like, the ground is the new chair. Oh, I know. Yes. All those drugs. Poor baby. Poor buddy. Everyone. And I was like, I'm learning a lot about drugs that I have not tried. No, me too. I was like, and based on this film, I will not be trying them. Yes, I've missed that time in my life, and I think that's okay. Yep, I am fine with that. Then what were your some of your favorite scenes and lines from this film? Uh, I guess I've said some of them, but um, I loved when they said to Max slash Mary, we love you, your family to us, but we no longer believe we can make you fun. <laughs> I did like that too. Um, all of Darcy's ice cream throwing away was cute. I loved when Joel Kim Booster was being like, why do you keep like running away? And I think this might have been about the letter that he wrote him, but he says something like, like a Victorian ghost. Yes, that was very funny. And I also loved like once they kind of became friends, that dynamic was really cute. And Will was always being like, I have a lot of friends. I'm a very fun loving person. And I think later he said something like, oh, like I'm not great at parties. And Joel Kim Booster was like fake shocked. (laughs) Those scenes were all charming. But um, I think I genuinely liked the end. I liked that they did a classic, you know, chase. And Charlie is, they're all like, do something big, do something stupid. And he's like, I love you. And they're like, too big, too stupid, dial it back. Yeah, so I like that too. That was very funny. And then I like that afterward, you get almost like a, I don't know if this is a flip, but it's a little unexpected that Will and Noah are sitting together and Will is like unexpectedly the positive one because Noah is so down on love and he's being like, "Ugh, where will they be in a year or whatever? And Will's like, in love? Happy? (laughs) And then they all party and they have like a real middle school dance vibe in like a nice way. Yeah, the ending is great. I really love the like beach montage of like him, of like Will and Noah like reading on the beach. 
that was very cute. Um, I enjoyed that the movie found space for that because the movie tells you like 17 times that like time on Fire Island is weird. Like they're only there Camp for a, you're only there for a week, but it feels like really intense and weird. And you're like, okay, okay, I get it. But the the movie is a bit frenetic, and so I did like that montage a lot. Um, I enjoyed Will being called up to dance at the drag show. <laughs> um, his dance was very cute. Um, I enjoyed the ice cream thing is like my favorite thing that happened. We rewound and watched it twice. Um, the first time because it was so funny. Um, Jolkin Booster basically makes fun of this tiny ice cream cone that he's eating and Will just throws it to the side. It's amazing. And then the callback. Yeah. And then I just, I remembered something that I enjoyed a lot, which was, it's the scene in Pride and Prejudice where Lizzie goes to see Jane. Because she's sick. Yeah, because she's sick and she's stuck at Bingley's. Um, and in this version, it was that Bo and Yang drank too much and was like, was hungover and like in Charlie's bathtub and Joel Kim Booster goes over to see him. And that I thought was really clever and well done. I do like that we've now watched two gay, like friends in a tub scenes. <laughs> Crush. Oh, I forgot. Um... Their friendship is so nice. Like, I loved also that it was like, I'm pretentious. No, I'm pretentious in like different notes. Like, usually it's Bowen being earnest and Joel Kim Booster being just, you know, gay douchey. But then at one point, because Bowen's mad at him for trying to push his life agenda on him. And he says, like, this is the longest you've not talked to me since I said, call me by your name was boring. Oh, that was a great line. And Bowen <laughs> like, it's a fucking masterpiece. Sorry, it's not part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I was like, I've learned so much about both of you. I know. It's great. They were cute. I also like when they were talking about their friendship and being like, visit me. And Joel Kim Booster just like can't stop himself from being like, you don't need the blah, 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 blah. And Bowen's like, yeah, I've heard your TED talk. There were good lines. Really good lines. Um, Dumb Charlie kept falling for weird stuff, by the way. Like, I think it's Joel Kim Booster being like, oh, yeah, died in a fire. So sad. And he's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Charlie was like sometimes like too earnest for me, but like, you know, that's fine. That is some of Bingley's energy, but I think it like doesn't quite work as well in 2022 <laughs> as it does in like. You're just like, are you Amish? Are you. You've just like <laughs> never heard a joke of. It's not just pop culture references. He seemingly has never heard a joke of any kind. Well, he is friends with Will, who doesn't seem like he's cracking a lot of jokes. He's dry! Maybe I'm too defensive of Will, but like maybe you would think that, although you know what? You are right. Will also does not get jokes or like extremely normal tropes. Because at the beginning, Joel Kim Booster is trying to get away from that creepy Asian loving guy that we did not talk about. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, that's the worst. That's the worst. I didn't have any worsts. It's definitely that. Yeah, it's the yellow fever guy. But I did love that he tries to use Conrad Rickamora to get out of this situation. And... He's just legit like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know you. And like walks away. Yep. That's his whole energy. To be fair, he had just gotten to Fire Island and he was like, wow, I really hate it here. Which I feel like he should have known. Considering they have like an annual underwear party. Yes. I did love that the Fire Island version of having a huge stick up your butt was like, he is basically just as naked, but he has shorts. <laughs> or maybe he has boxers even? No, he was wearing he was wearing pants. I thought they were shorts. 
No, he was, I thought he was like shirtless and pants. It is very funny because everyone else is like literally in like tidy whitey like briefs, like just like grinding on each other. And he is just kind of like, "Mm, I took my shirt off. What I like the most about this is that he's not fully clothed. Like this is Will slash Darcy making an effort. Yeah, he was like, oh, okay, I have to be in some form of undress. So (laughs) like this is him trying to fit in. You know, to be fair, he does wear a lot more clothes in, like, normal day-to-day also on Fire Island than, like, literally anybody else. Maybe he runs cold. Maybe. Um, if you are right that it's full-length pants, that's actually very funny and semi-Victorian. Well, should we should we even do our POC count for this movie? Most of the family and Conrad. Um, I mean, Charlie is white, and so is his terrible friend, and so is his ex. Reese. And so is Wickham. Basically all the bad people, which I'm fine Yeah, with. which is fine. But otherwise, yeah, I think it's great. I mean, it was written by Joel Kim Booster, so like... Um, I'm so happy. I know. What would you rate this film? Well, originally, when I didn't know what's happening, I wrote kind of oddly structured, but I had a great time. Eight or nine? <laughs> I know. I've never felt stupider. It's fine. I wish I had talked to you more. I would like to stay for our audience that Kat is very smart. So this is really embarrassing. I don't know that it is. Mostly I just feel in life, there are many things I'm terrible at. True. And in pop culture specifically, it's very normal for me to not know what's happening ever at all. As if I were Charlie, almost. Not quite as bad. However, Wait, you have heard a joke once or twice. Once or twice. Just a few. Not good ones because I'm mostly watching rom-coms. But this is what I was going to say is that this is the one genre in which I should know what is happening. And I also just feel bad because they did such a good job and I didn't fully appreciate it. And had I had more time between the viewing and the recording, I would have gone back and watched it with this in mind. And instead, I'm just like slowly recasting every moment that confused me. <laughs> What are you going to do? But, you know, it's good. It's humbling. It's true. There you go. And also, I feel so vindicated that even having no idea what was happening, I was like, I see Darcy and I love you. Exactly. I think I would also give this like a nine. I really liked it. I thought it was really beautiful adaptation. I thought it was really well done. It was funny. It was clever. It was cute. Um, Darcy was handsome. And they covered so much stuff in like the light, delightful way that you hope to in a movie like this. Yeah, it was paced well. It was really great. Um, I feel like when movies are great, we like don't have as much to say because we're like, oh, it was good. I know. I feel like this is a bad, like I want it to be a good episode because I like the movie, but sometimes the good movies are bad episodes. I know. I just like don't have nearly as much stuff to complain about. But I think you're right about nine because we basically don't have worse. Yeah, that's true. Like the thing we hated, we were meant to hate. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I think I would give this a nine out of 10. Nine out of 10 tiny ice cream cones. Uh, nine out of ten Victorian ghosts. Mm. Nine out of ten Alice Munro's. Nine out of ten Lyme disease lies? Truths? Who knows? I am firmly on the side of lie, but who knows? All right, all right. Let's say nine out of ten Lyme disease mysteries. And with that... Thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on our social media. We'll be back next month, perhaps with persuasion. Who knows? We'll talk to you soon. Bye. 
Thank you to Hannah Oatman, who composed our theme music, and Alexandra Oatman, who painted our logo art. You can follow Alexandra on Twitter at at Alexandra. Special thanks to Quincy Surasmith for advising us on the art of the podcast. Subscribe to his wonderful podcast, Asian Americana, at wherever you get your podcasts. Want more Romcomathon? You can read past reviews at romcomathon2016.tumblr.com and follow us at Romcomathon2016 on Facebook and Twitter and Romcomathon on Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. Please subscribe and rate Romcomathon on iTunes. Thank you.